Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Old Testament book of Ezekiel. The Old Testament book of Ezekiel and Ezekiel in chapter number 34. Ezekiel and chapter number 34. We're still in our early segments of our series of the Millennial Kingdom. And what we've been doing in the last several messages is going step by step, piece by piece, to be able to lay the foundation of prophecy, to understand the purpose of it, to understand how God has directed it, to lay a foundation that we could build off common ground for the purpose that we could get the correct interpretation, that we could get exactly what God intended us to have, and we could come to the correct conclusions as well. Understanding this becomes very vital because our hope is involved in this. Our understanding of the future of what part we have to play and what part do we have to prepare for. A common mistake in interpreting prophecy is ignoring who the main audience of prophecy is for. And that's going to be the Hebrew people. With that being said, let's look to a millennial kingdom passage found in the book of Ezekiel chapter number 34. Ezekiel chapter 34, and notice with me if you don't mind, starting at verse number 11. Ezekiel 34 and verse 11. Notice what the Bible says. For thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I, even I, will both search my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd seeketh out his flock in the day that he is among his sheep that are scattered, so will I seek out my sheep and will deliver them out of all the places where they have been scattered in the dark, cloudy and dark day. And I will bring them out from the people and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land and feed them upon the mountains of Israel by the rivers and in all the inhabitant places of the country. I will feed them in a good pasture and upon the high mountains of Israel shall their fold be. There shall they lie in a good fold and shall be in a fat pasture shall they feed upon the mountains of Israel. And I will feed my flock, and I will cause them to lie down, saith the Lord God. I will seek that which was lost, and bring again that which was driven away, and will bind up that which was broken, and strengthen that which was sick. But I will destroy the fat and the strong, and I will feed them with judgment. And as for you, O my flock, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I judge between cattle and cattle, between the rams and the he-goats. Seemeth it a small thing unto you to have eaten up the good pasture? But ye must tread down with your feet the residue of your pastures? And to have drunk the deep waters, but you must foul the residue with your feet? And as for my flock, they eat 
which ye have trodden with your feet, and they drink that which you have fouled with your feet. Therefore saith the Lord God unto them, Behold, I, even I, will judge between the fat cattle and between the lean cattle. Because you have thrust with your side and with shoulder, and have pushed all the diseased with your horns, till you have scattered them abroad. Therefore will I save my flock, and they shall no more be a prey, and I will judge between the cattle and cattle. And I will set up one shepherd over them, and he shall feed them, even my servant David. He shall feed them, and he shall be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David, a prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken it. And I will make with them a covenant of peace and will cause the evil beast to cease out of the land and they shall dwell safely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. And I will make them and the places round about my hill a blessing. And I will cause the shower to come down in his season and there shall be showers of blessing. And the tree of the field shall yield her fruit, and the earth shall yield her increase, and they shall be safe in their land, and shall know that I am the Lord, when I have broken the bands of their yoke, and have delivered them out of the hands of those that served themselves of them. And they shall no more be a prey to the heathen, neither shall the beast of the land devour them, but they shall dwell safely, and none shall make them afraid." And I will raise up for them a plant of renown, and they shall be no more consumed with hunger in the land, neither bear the shame of the heathen any more. Thus shall they know that I, the Lord their God, am with them, and they, and <coughs> that they, even the house of Israel, are my people, saith the Lord God, and ye are my flock. The flock of my pastor are men, and I am your God, saith the Lord God. And with this as a backdrop, I want to hit tonight as we lay down a foundation, this idea here, the purpose of the millennium. The purpose of the millennial kingdom. The purpose of the millennial kingdom. Let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come to you, Lord, I'm asking that you would help set things in order, that you would help us to have an understanding of this process, this prophecy, and see what you have in mind that we could correctly discern, correctly divide, and correctly understand your plan for the future and put things in order and make the right application. Again, I'm asking that you would just help give grace and mercy be with me, be with your Bible, help us to clearly explain and discern these things that everyone can clearly understand this. This has to be done by your spirit, and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. As I stated before, that a common mistake of interpreting prophecy is ignoring who the main audience of prophecy is. If we were to be honest and have a clear understanding, the main audience of prophecy in the Bible is the Hebrew people. It is the Hebrew people. And we're going to see this foundation 
all throughout the Bible. We're going to cover this. But if we were going to be honest and discern these things, that if the prophecies, especially the Old Testament, are to the Hebrew people and not to the Gentile people and not to the Christians, then we're going to have a clear ability to be discern what is for us, what is for them, what part do we have to play. This is going to be key because if we mix prophecies together and we start applying things that are going to the Hebrew people, to the church, we're going to be very off on what is going to happen in the future and our role into here. So if you don't mind, as we start just discerning and laying a foundation, a first principle I want to show you and explain to you is that God made promises to the Hebrew people through the covenants. God had made promises to the Hebrew people through the covenants, through the covenants. Now we had explained in a couple different lectures that the framework of prophecy is found in the book of Daniel. That sets up the framework and everything within um, uh, that's given a prophecy has to fit within that framework. Another piece of that puzzle, another framework, or perhaps you could have it this way, the tree that all other prophecy hangs off of is going to be the covenants that God had made to his people, or more specifically, concerning his people. That God had made many prophecies concerning his people, Israel. One of these major agreements of prophecies, of promises, are what are called covenants. Covenants are agreements between two parties. The covenants are going to be literal, eternal, un. I'm sorry, unconditional and specific. The covenants given in the Bible and the four we're going to look at specifically are going to be literal, eternal, that means they don't cease, they're going to be lasting, unconditional and specific. Now these are going to be important because we have to see that God made these covenants and that the Jewish people didn't default on them. They didn't um, set them aside. That God didn't throw them away. That they are going to be literal, eternal, unconditional, and specific. These covenants are going to be important because like a border defines a puzzle, these covenants will help define prophecy. They help us to determine what is true about these events. We also must understand that God has never defaulted on these covenants. The four covenants that we need to have an understanding, by the way, we will have a separate lecture for each one of these four covenants coming up in the future. But these four covenants are going to be the Abrahamic covenant. Let's go with the first one, the Abrahamic covenant. The Abrahamic covenant, God promises a people for all time. In fact, all of the other covenants spread from this initial covenant that God had made Abraham. Now, we'll study this covenant later and see how it applies to prophecy. But this is going to be key because in this covenant, God made a covenant about Abraham concerning Abraham to God's self. Basically, God made a promise to himself about Abraham. Abraham just had to be present there. That's going to be key to understanding. That means if the covenant was between God and himself, that means there's no way Abraham and his people could default on a promise that was not give, where they were not included. 
Does that make sense? It was about them, but not to them. It was concerning them, but God had promised to himself. And we will prove that in scripture. All of the other covenants are going to come and spring out of this. That the Abrahamic covenant is going to be in seed form what all of these will come out for. But the basic tenet in this idea of understanding prophecy is that God promised a people for all time. God promised a people for all time. And that is going to be the Hebrew people. The Hebrew people are not going to be replaced. God promised the Hebrew people that God will guard them for all time. The other covenant that comes out of this is going to be called the land covenant. Sometimes it's called the Palestinian covenant, but the land covenant gets across this the same way. God promised those Hebrew people a land for all time. That the land covenant, the Palestinian covenant, God promised the land for the people for all time. Another covenant that this is built off of is the Davidic covenant. The Davidic covenant. In the Davidic covenant, God promises someone from Dan, uh, David's lineage will rule on the throne forever. That someone from David's lineage will rule on this throne forever. The fourth covenant that sprung all the way from the Abrahamic covenant and it kind of branched out and became more fulfilled, more defined, is going to be called the new covenant. The new covenant. The new covenant, God will bring the Hebrew people to himself and save them from their sins and change their heart. The new covenant is that God will bring the Hebrew people to himself and save them from their sins and change their heart. These four covenants are to the Hebrew people concerning the Hebrew people that all of prophecy is going to hang off of these four promises that God had given that cannot be exchanged, that cannot be fouled away. They are going to be literal they are going to be eternal, they are going to be unconditional, and they are going to be what God had promised to them, that they are specific. God promised a people. God promised them the land. God promised them a king, and God promised to save them from their sins and to change their heart. These promises of salvation were given to the Hebrew people. We covered this the other day, but because God promised salvation to the Hebrew people, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, not only did he save the Hebrew people, but we were beneficiaries. Aries, because of God, Jesus' blood was enough to pay for the whole world and not just for a certain type of people. I'm glad that we're included in that. But the promises of salvation were to the Hebrew people. And because of those promises to the Hebrew people, we get to benefit. Well, the same thing's true about the other areas of prophecy as well. They were made to the Hebrew people, but they were big enough that they affect everyone else. These covenants are going to be so important and so lasting that God repeats them and refers to them throughout the entire Old Testament over and over and over they are brought up. The second principle we want to give in understanding this idea of the purpose of the millennial is that first of all that God had given these covenants to the Hebrew people. The second thing is that God reaffirmed these promises to the Hebrew people in the prophets. 
So in the prophets, they are going to refer to these covenants, these promises, and are going to be a great source of comfort and warning to the Hebrew people. Consider the overview of a basic prophetic message. If you look at any prophetic message, there's going to be three basic tenets that are usually found within each of those prophecies. Some of those prophecies may hold two, but all of them are going to have these basic uh, tenets. What is the basic prophetic message? The first element is you have committed covenant treachery and must repent. You have committed covenant treachery and you must repent. Basically, the first part of it is you have disobeyed God's law. God says, listen, I have plans for you and this is what I want to do for you. My expectation is that you stay close to me, that you follow after me. That shouldn't be hard. I made you promises. And the people disobeyed God's promises. They disobeyed God's word. They fell away. And the prophets have to emphasize the seriousness and the extent of Israel's rebellion towards the Lord. This rebellion falls into three categories, idolatry, social injustice, meaning that they would often uh, try to do things like put their brothers into slavery, take other Hebrew people and turn them into slaves. And then there was religious ritualism where they would go through the motions. Over and over, God is dealing with these things and saying, why are you doing this? God God wants to be your God. Remember the new covenant that God wants to save them and bring them to himself. The whole purpose is that God wants to be close to the people. But instead of being close to God, they wander away and go worship other gods over and over and over again. Think about that God had freed the people from slavery and had promised them a land forever. And then they turn around and enslave their brothers. God said, that's not what I say. I delivered you from slavery, not to put you back into it. Then he said, uh, <laughs> talked about ritual, uh, religious ritualism, that people would just go through the motions. Hi, I'm here. It's kind of like people going to church. All right, checked off the box. Okay, I can go to sleep now. They're, they're not engaged. That doesn't make God happy just because you showed up to church. Are you engaged? Do you, have you a desire to worship God and to follow after God? Well, the Hebrew people fell in this and the prophetic message was, listen, why are you doing this? Why are you failing? God gave you these promises. Why are you walking away? The second element of the prophetic message was without repentance, you will experience the curses of the covenant. Without repentance, you will experience the curses of the covenant. So basically, you did wrong, now get right. Otherwise, there's going to be consequences. Come back to God. Come back to God. Come back to God. In addition to pleading to God's people to repent of their covenant treachery, the prophets promised severe consequences for continued rebellion. In fact, Deuteronomy covers these blessings and curses. The most serious consequence for their refusing to rebel Uh, repent was that God was going to send them away from the land. Now that's a big deal. God said, here, I gave you this land, but I can't let you stay here as long as you're disobedient. God did say, I'm going to bring you back. But right now, while you're in this state, I can't let you be here. Get right or I'm going to send you away. And by the way, they didn't get right. And God kept his word. But the third element was that God is not finished with you. There is hope 
beyond that judgment. This is what you're going to see all throughout the prophets, especially the minor prophets, that you're going to see that, listen, I know things look bad now. I know judgment is coming upon you, but let you know, God's not finished with you yet. At the end of this, he's going to bring you back. At the end of this, he's going to save you. At the end of this, he's going to deliver you. Hey, he's going to put Jerusalem as the capital. He's got plans for the land. He's got plans for you. And that's what you see throughout the prophets, especially the minor prophets. Read the end of almost every minor prophet and you see this. God's not done with you. He's going to do something. He's going to bring you back. This is the message of hope. By the way, that was a hopeful message that God is not ever done with them. That as bad as the whipping may be, that taking them outside of the woodshed may be, he wasn't done with them. And still had plans and these folks would be able to have hope. That it wasn't done. That God hadn't wiped his hands with them. That is a great encouragement. A great promise. A great blessing. That this. That Israel's future was still ahead. And that what Israel had ahead. Was different. And better. Than what they had known before. That God had promised that he was going to send a Messiah. To take away their sins. To change their hearts. And help them be something different and better than what they were before. The provision and abundance and the preeminence of God's chosen people was not an end to himself. God had in mind of this, by the way, from the very beginning. This wasn't plan B. God had always planned on delivering the Hebrew people to himself. To save them. To bring them and give them uh, their part of an inheritance. Israel's prominence in world affair was always to direct the attention of the fellow Israelites and the Gentiles around them to an awe-inspiring God. To see that God cares for them no matter what, even if he has to chastise them. Numerous Old Testament passages envision the restoration of a redeemed nation of Israel to the land of promise, by the way, inside of a perfected millennial kingdom. The millennial kingdom has been the major focus of prophecy to the Hebrew people from the very beginning. We are basically latecomers to this promise, but the Hebrew people have always been the central recipients of this promise that God hasn't forgotten the Hebrew people. He's going to bring them back to himself. He's going to do everything that he said he was going to do. And they are going to be brought to the land and they are going to be the preeminence. They're going to have the promises. They have all of these things that God desires for them. The millennial kingdom, the purpose of it is for the fulfillment of the promises God made to the Hebrew people. Which brings us to a third aspect, a third element, a third principle we have to understand as we understand what is the purpose of the millennial kingdom. This third element is that God's promises to the Hebrew people are carried out in the tribulation and fulfilled in the millennial kingdom. God's promises to the Hebrew people are carried out in the tribulation and fulfilled in the millennial kingdom. What should we learn from these prophetic passages concerning covenant judgment on the nation followed by spiritual and national restoration? First, 
Biblical interpreters must recognize God's appropriate judgment on his covenant is not the end of the story for the chosen nation. Now, some people today have got to the idea that when the the, uh, Jewish people rejected Jesus Christ as their Messiah, that Jesus began to work with the Gentile peoples. That's true. But some people carry that through and say, it is because the Hebrew people rejected God, God wiped his hands with them and said, no, I'm going to deal with a people who's going to like me better. And then he set aside the Hebrew people. And now the church and the Gentiles are now the inheritors of this promise. That is not true. We've already seen that foundation before, that we're in a parenthesis period. God said he's going to work with these people. He put a pause. He's going to work with us for a while. And isn't that a great God that he loves us enough that he's going to work with us? And then he's going to resume his work with the Hebrew people to bring them back to himself. Hebrew people have still always been God's chosen people and God's chosen nature. The land which he exiles them from is clearly the land where God is going to return them to. God made this promise. He's still going to carry out his word. The Hebrew people will inhabit all of that land. Everything there. He will return those people. The prophetic predictions that God's chosen people would experience the pinnacle of the covenant curse, the eviction for the land, has already been a reality. And by the way, when they were kicked out, were they kicked out spiritually? Were they kicked out figuratively? They were kicked out literally. They left the land literally, and they're coming back to the land literally. God had a promise to them. He said, this is your home. You will come back to live on this land. Not in a spiritual or a figurative or a pictorial or spiritual. He said, literally, you're coming back to the land. He always intended to that. By the way, when he brings them back to the land, he is also going to change their heart. So that way they will always have a desire to follow after him. The salvation of God's chosen people will enjoy doesn't replace the idea that he's going to restore them to the land. This is a big deal. So what we're going to find in the tribulation is that God is carrying out his promise to bring the Hebrew people back to himself. During that tribulation period, God is going to be dealing with the Hebrew people. The tribulation begins with a peace agreement between the Antichrist and the Hebrew people to rebuild the temple. The temple is going to be rebuilt in three and a half years. During that time, the Jewish people have been rejoicing. They feel like this Antichrist is going to be their Messiah, the one that promised. But when the Antichrist sits on the throne of the rebuilt temple and declares himself to be God, the Hebrew people are going to realize, oops, this was not the promised one after all. Maybe it was this Jesus guy who came in our past. When they turn from the Antichrist and reject him, the Antichrist is going to set a persecution upon the Hebrew people like the world has never seen. Pause. If you look in history, you could see that the Hebrew people have been persecuted time and time again. If you think that the Holocaust, and by the way, the Holocaust was real, If you think the Holocaust was the only time the Jewish people have been uh, abused and killed, you don't know history over and over 
and over. Whether it's something like 1218 AD, when the Black Plague, one of the Black Plagues, swept across Europe and killed one-third of the European population, guess who they decided to blame? The Jewish people. And the Jewish people were killed as people were angry of their loved ones dying. They had to blame someone. And the Jewish people were killed for that. You go through history time and time and time again. And you could see the Jewish people used as scapegoats. Now, why am I saying this? Because as bad as the Holocaust was, as bad as those other places are, they will pale in comparison to the persecution upon the Hebrew people that the Antichrist will have for them. It will take a horrible persecution upon the Hebrew people to finally have the Hebrew people turn to God for salvation, recognizing that Jesus was their Messiah. God has to do something drastic in their life to bring them to himself, but God promised he would do what it took to bring those people to himself. Now, why is that important to note? It's important to note for us because the church isn't needed for the tribulation period. God is not dealing with us. He's not working with us. He's not prophesied to us. It's not our concern. Meaning, what do I mean by that? That God is dealing with us right now as a church age. The church age had a definite beginning with Christ and his disciples and will have a definite end of the rapture. When the rapture happens, God's attention is now focused on working with the Hebrew people to bring the Hebrew people to himself so that way the world could be reached through the Hebrew people. We are not necessary, needed, prophesied, or a part of the tribulation, meaning us as New Testament Christians. That's important to note because there's so many people out there that because they do not understand the purpose of the tribulation and the millennial kingdom have tried to insert the church to be a part of the tribulation. Whether we leave halfways or we stay all the way through, that is wrong biblical interpretation and a misunderstanding of the Bible God's purposes, and God's foundation of prophecy. We have to be very clear, the tribulation is for the Hebrew people to bring the Hebrew people back to God's self. With that being said, the millennial kingdom is for the Hebrew people. The promises that God made to the Hebrew people is going to be fulfilled in the millennial kingdom. You say, well, what about us? Well, guess what? The promises to God's people, to the Hebrew people, uh, to, about the millennial kingdom are so big that we get to enjoy part of it as well. But we have to understand that the he millennial kingdom is there for the purpose of the Hebrew people. Which brings me to one last thing. God made separate promises to the New Testament saints. God made separate promises to the New Testament saints. Now this helps us. We have to understand who's the promises to. There are promises that God made to the heathens. There are promises God made to the Hebrew people. And there are promises that God made to the New Testament saints. There are millennial kingdom passages and promises that are delivered to us specifically as Gentile believers. But it's not exactly what you think. 
Some people have in mind that the millennial kingdom is going to be more like heaven where you are just relaxing all the time and playing harps and going on clouds and whatever else they may imagine. The millennial kingdom is going to be a place on earth. And so it still operates. Now there's going to be a perfect king, a perfect government with perfect conditions. All of those are promised to the Hebrew people. The millennial kingdom is there to help with the, with the Hebrew people who many of them are going to be born inside of the millennial kingdom. But as for us, we are going to be the workers and the laborers during the millennial kingdom. We're going to be working in the government, serving in the government, ruling in the government. We're going to be teaching the Bible. We are going to be doing the little things that need done to make this society function for the benefit of the Hebrew people. The believers are going to the millennial kingdom to work. You say, well, that doesn't sound fun. Well, then you don't understand your Bible. It's going to be a wonderful privilege it is to serve, to work, and to labor. In fact, the life that we live now are a lifelong job interview to see what position we're going to do and what privilege we have to serve God and the Hebrew people. You said, but I was promised rest. Eternity future is our rest, not the millennial kingdom. The millennial kingdom is our privilege to serve the master as he fulfills the promises to the Hebrew people. And by the way, since he is king, he has every right to determine who works in his kingdom and who doesn't. Right? If I am an employer, I can say who I want to work for me. And if somebody doesn't want to work, well, then I don't have to give them a job. But if they work for me, then I'm expecting them to work, right? And so Jesus now is going to be the king. We get to the privilege of serving God during that time. During the thousand year reign of Christ, we will work. So there are promises to us, but they're different than the Hebrew people. For the Hebrew people, they are the fulfillment of the promises that God had made for the covenants. From the Abrahamic covenant, to the land covenant, to the Davidic covenant, to the new covenant. He has promised them the land. He's promised Jerusalem. He's done all kinds of things. We have the privilege of serving our master and helping work in the millennial kingdom to fulfill the promises to the Hebrew people. You say it's not fair. What's not fair? Who's to you to say what's fair? God has already in mind what he wants to do. We just have to understand our part of prophecy and the Hebrews part of prophecy so we can make a proper application. Now, we're going to build upon this. We just have to set the foundation. What is the purpose of the millennial kingdom? It is to fulfill the promises God made to the Hebrew people. And the promises made to us as New Testament saints are going to reinforce and help him carry out God's promise to the Hebrew people. That's a wonderful promise. He has made so many promises. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's a wonderful promise. The Bible says in Romans 8, 28, for we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are the called according to his purpose. Oh, I'm so thankful that God knows how to work all things together for good. 
We have great promises. And by the way, if God broke his promises to the Hebrew people, how can we trust that God would, wouldn't break his promises to us? But because God did and intends to keep his promises to the Hebrew people, we have great comfort that God will keep his promises to us. What is the promise that you've been clinging on lately? What is the promise you need to cling on? Sometimes people are just at the place where they can't move forward. I don't know what God has for me. I don't know what God wants me to do. Well, let me tell you, God has given us his word and he's told us clearly what he has for us. We can trust him. We don't have to doubt. We can look at him. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. He has so many promises even to us that we can cling unto and trust in him. What is the promise you need to cling on to him now? What is the promise you need to trust in him? Knowing for sure that he will not break his word, but he will keep it to you. What comfort do you need to drive? What hope do you need knowing that he is going to do what he said he was going to do? Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.